Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. And I'm Catherine Jenkins, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at the University of Nottingham. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolfe and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. glad you tuned in to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host Beth Matthews. Today on the program I'm going to be speaking with Professor Sarah Pedersen about women's writing in lockdown. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Can you give us some background information about yourself? Yeah okay I am Professor of Communication and Media at Robert Gordon University which is in Aberdeen which is in the northeast of Scotland Um, and I teach and research mostly looking at the way in which women use the media for political purposes. I have used historical sources for that so my original PhD actually investigated women's use of Edwardian newspapers to talk about the suffrage and their campaign for the vote and then now I also use social media so I look at Twitter I've written on blogs and I've written on uh, a UK parenting site called Mumsnet so um, I use all of these different sources but my main focus is looking at the way in which women use this to to step into the public sphere and to talk about issues that affect their lives but are also what we would consider to be political uh, as well as that I serve as the university sex equality champion oh great So could you tell us about the impact of lockdown on women? Well, you're not going to be surprised to hear that it was really very negative. I'm, I'm talking here from a UK point of view, but I think that a lot of research demonstrates that this has been a, a global impact on women. Um, for a start off, women have really taken on the burden of homeschooling and childcare, because, of course, once we had lockdown, the schools and the childcare facilities were closed. Um, so we know in the UK that women were much more likely to take the furlough payments um, which meant that they didn't work or actually to leave employment altogether because they had to take on childcare. They not only lost paid work but they were more likely to increase their domestic work and this is regardless of age, ethnicity or geographical location so it's all over the UK. The other problem for women was that um, women's work a lot of women worked in the retail and hospitality sectors which of course were completely closed down by lockdown Um, and so the lockdown adversely affected their ability to generate any income so um, we have a a UK organization called the Women's Budget Group and they found that parents were twice as likely to be furloughed as childless workers and that women stepped up and ended up doing 78% more childcare than the men in households with women uh, with children under five. 
Now, obviously, some women really did embrace the chance to spend more time with their family. So, I, I, you know, we have to acknowledge that there were some who saw this as a, a, a great opportunity. But for others, they really felt trapped. It was almost like a return to the 1950s, an enforced domestication. We had this this almost new domesticity, almost a fetishization of uh, the the housewife uh, cooking and baking. We had this enormous explosion. I don't know if that happened in Australia, but everybody was baking, you know, banana cake, banana bread, etc. We ended up with a flour shortage at one point. And and this, you know, this sort of idealized femininity almost. So research now, we've started to do research on how women felt at lockdown. They felt depressed, incredibly worried, both about health issues, the impact on their children, the impact on elderly parents, worried about money because of losing their job. And anger, you know, anger at their partners um, who are perceived not to be stepping up. So, you know, you had the situation where the man would have, you know, sorted out an office upstairs in the spare bedroom. And he went upstairs at nine o'clock with the promise he'd be down for lunch. And he might look after the children for an hour then if she wants to do something. So anger there, but also a tremendous amount of anger in Britain at at what was perceived to be the mismanagement and misinformation coming from the government. So we know that there was a real decline in mental health. Alcoholic consumption went up. Lots of reports of sleep loss, particularly amongst women. And then sort of the, the really, really frightening thing is right from the beginning of lockdown and increasing reports in domestic violence and so many women were trapped with abusers in their own home who then use lockdown and the lockdown laws to further abuse with threats you know if you leave if you go out if you go to your sisters I will report you to the police so the the police actually were desperately trying to get the the message out you know please if you are, you know, being abused, you are allowed to leave lockdown, you are allowed to travel. But of course, if an abuser is cutting you off from access to the media or whatever, that that's not helpful. So we know that there's there's been an increase. And what we have tended to see is an increase in reporting of domestic violence every time lockdown was lifted. Um, so, so obviously sort of everything was being bottled up until that moment. And then just, you know, if we're, if we're talking about academics, we know that the female academics had less time to research, less time to write, less time to, to put in bids for funding. So, so we had all these reports from academic journals saying that um, there were fewer uh, articles being submitted by women. Uh, the, the feminist academic journals were having major problems actually getting things reviewed um, because women didn't have the time to do it. And women just really faded from the public sphere. Some of the, you know, the most prominent voices that we heard as far as health and and government spokespeople, they were all male. There there were no women there. Now, you know, ironically, in the UK, this this was less than two years after we'd had these major celebrations um, of the centenary of 1918, which was when women, well, some women got the vote. So we've had all this excitement about, look how far women have come. Look how, you know, women are so equal. Look at at all these women now who are, you know, leaders in the country. And then it just, you know, all disappeared. 
that's quite a, a depressing scenario, but that's that's what lockdown meant for women. Oh, geez, can you tell us about the published and unpublished autobiographical writings from British women? Yeah, um, so we have a project that we are just starting on. It's it's um, led by Lucy Armit, who is at the University of Lincoln, and I'm working on it, and Professor Krista Cowman, who is from the University of Leicester, are working on it. And we're investigating women's writing in lockdown. And there are four different types of autobiographical writings that we're going to be using. Um, so the first is published literature, both fiction and nonfiction, because some women at least did manage to write books in lockdown. And we're going to be using those and investigating those. And they're books both aimed at women or the general public, but also a lot of writing aimed at children trying to explain the very scary situation that young children found themselves in. Um, we're also going to use newspaper articles and investigate those. Social media output. Uh, Twitter, blogs, posting on uh, various discussion forums. And then the, the fourth piece, we're partnered with the poet Liv Talk, and she is going to run a series of workshops with us, um, allowing women to write now about what their experience of lockdown was. But she also has a, a fascinating and, and very rich archive of uh, work that she's done in previous workshops, of course, all online, including 2000 haiku that women wrote about what, their, what was going on with them during, during lockdown. And a lot of this material, particularly the social media stuff, is very eph ephemeral, you know? Um, so that means that it, it, its analysis is a really urgent project before it completely disappears from view. And we're looking at the writings of people who were professionals, so journalists and perhaps some professional authors, but also people who, who weren't professional writers. So people who just wrote on, on forums, mothers, influencers, things like that. So, you know, we're going to look at the way in which lockdown and COVID did, did encourage lots of non-professional women writers to turn to writing, perhaps as a way of, of negotiating their response to lockdown, to the, the differences that, you know, the change in their circumstances, uh, to deal with their worries, to deal with their anger, whatever it was. We're also going to be using some material um, from the, there was a whole range of projects that sprang up in the early days of lockdown to try and encourage the capture of ordinary, in quote marks, people's experience. So mass observation, which has run, you know, for over a century now in, in Britain, they were collecting people's diaries and the BBC were encouraging people to write what they call COVID chronicles. And, and there's the sounds like archive that the British Library set up. So all of this is incredibly rich material that we're going to be able to use. And, and then we're also going to be undertaking interviews with some of these writers to, to actually find out what the writing process was like under lockdown, um, particularly for, for people who had young children in the house. How did they actually uh, manage to find time to write and, and, and how did they organise their lives in order to do that? Now, a century ago, Virginia Woolf published A Room of One's Own. What connection does this publication have with women's writing today? Well, the, the, the whole title of the project is A, brackets, socially isolated room of one's own women writing lockdown. 
So um, Victoria Wolf, it's a, a short book and I really recommend it to anybody who hasn't read it. It's, it's based on two lectures she gave at uh, a women's college at, uh, at, I can't remember if it was Cambridge or Oxford now, but, but one of them. She went along, she gave a couple of talks about women's writing um, where she was basically saying, well, where is it? Why don't we have this rich history of women's writing? Why haven't, you know, why don't we have a, a, a Judith Shakespeare is, is, is one of the people she talks about. So she said, well, the reason we don't have this is that women need a room and money of their own in order to write. And throughout history, very few women have been able to do that. So the book helped to really establish the, the, the significance of space, either public or private, as, as a real necessity in the writing process. So, so her essay provided possibly for the first time this means of rendering visible how women's writing disappears. You know, women have written, but we don't know about it. So that's what we're, we're doing. We're seeking to prevent a re-emergence of this uh, disappearance around the pandemic by capturing all of these different sources of life writing by women um, and, and documenting this unique period in, in, in recent history. So, I mean, the, the, the slightly amusing thing is that women's writing has often been criticized for being over-identified with the domestic sphere. And yet lockdown, you know, placed us all back in the home. And we were, we were being told almost, it was being talk, talked about as though it was a war, a war against COVID and the home is the new front line. And we're all, you know, soldiers in this army fighting against COVID. And so, so domesticity was in fact, it became a public sphere. So we're going to look at, um, you know, how much things like having your own space, having having the income um, allowed women to write or not write and, and what were the strategies that women used to carve out time to write even if it was just you know writing a quick blog or even just getting involved in a discussion on, on a discussion forum um, how did they do it why did they do it and, and what sort of things were they writing about was it sort of catharsis that, that we're seeing Right, so you, you mentioned before about Mum's Net. Could you explain what, what that is? Okay, how can I explain Mum's Net? Mum's Net is a phenomenon. Um, set up 20 years ago. It was originally set up, it's, a, it's an online um, forum, which when it was set up, the, the uh, owners thought it would be good for mothers to go on to compare, you know, what's the best nappy brand or what's the best pram or I went on this holiday and it wasn't very good. The swimming pool wasn't safe. Um, really has expanded from that. It now attracts around 10 million unique visitors a month. And they make 100 million page views. It has a discussion forum, which is kind of the heart and soul of Mum's Net. Which has over a hundred different topics, and so yes, some of them are what you would consider to be, uh, you know, the usual maternal topics. So you know, baby weaning, nappies, pregnancy, etc. But they actually now make up the minority of topics that are talked about, um, and and you get you know women talking about human rights, talking about em employment, talking about cars, talking about feminism. Um, it's perceived as being incredibly influential. It's perceived as being a very middle class 
phenomenon in the UK. And so it's it's used it as a way of accessing women's opinions by all the political parties. So um, one of the elections in 2010 was actually known as the Mumsnet election because so many of the leaders of political parties actually went on to Mumsnet and, and ran a web chat. And that happens all the time. You have politicians who have their particular pet uh, program or law that they want to talk to women about and they'll go on and they'll be there for an hour running a web chat where they're, they're sharing this and but listening as well to the women and Mumsnet runs all sorts of, of campaigns um, itself mostly uh, what could be described at least as light feminist campaigns about oh you know um, better maternity care um, they, they did a, a a campaign called We Believe You, where they sort of talked about, you know, uh, sexual abuse and, and rape and, and that our first response should be that we believe the woman. They've had campaigns um, about um, su supporting uh, women in hospital, um, keeping, we, we have these kind of predatory organisations that go into hospital and try and sell lots of things when you're in bed and you've just had a baby and they campaign to have them removed. Um, so, so there's all these campaigns that mums never runs um so it's it has it has become a, a phenomenon it it saw its its use increase by i think it was 10 percent over lockdown um you know because women were going on wanting to share experience wanting to share advice and and find support from other women so it actually started up one of its new discussion topics was covid um, and people could go on there and and share their fears but also pass on information or or sort of criticize the government or their neighbor or whatever i suppose in quite a safe space that sounds really amazing so how do women use the internet to express anger that they can't really express at home well, this was this is something that that I've I've written about with relation to Mumsnet. I mean, going back to that that you know that awful situation where a lot of women were in fear of domestic violence, but also just the fact that if you were locked down twenty four seven with your partner, um, male or female, you you know what might have been niggles in your relationship originally after a couple of months became incredibly difficult problems and you know you couldn't just argue all the time so mumsnet and other places online became a place where you could go and you could share your frustrations um, and, and your, you know, an irritation with family members and friends. A lot of the, the the sort of the, the writing is is about, you know, these people, they're not obeying the lockdown rules as I want them to behave. Um, he came in and, and he hasn't even changed and he's not washed his hands and he thinks there's nothing to worry about. And I'm worried sick and, and I can't tell him um, because we just get into an argument. So the great thing about Mumsnet, it's is it's anonymous people use pen names you don't use your own name so you could go on and you could rant and you could say i'm so annoyed with my employer because they're insisting i go to work and they are not even providing hand gel or whatever it is you could really have a good rant there um and so it was very cathartic space for that but it was also a a space where women could share anger at local and uh national governments and what were they perceived as misinformation disinformation um not doing the right thing 
so there was a lot of criticism and I think that's when we talk about women's writing we tend to sort of think oh they'll be talking about the family and friends and and what I saw on, on Mumsnet is it's you know there was anger that was at a very micro level but there's anger at a macro level and they blended into each other there wasn't sort of one topic where we talk about the government and one topic where we talk about my husband it, it came together it was like I'm angry about my husband and when we're on the topic of men bloody Boris Johnson so it was it was sort of you know you, you there was just this general sort of worry and anger of course you know it, it's not it's not all positive you also got the sharing of suspicions the sharing of disinformation just as much you know but one of the things about Mumsnet is that uh, women really do take their source materials very seriously they're almost academic um in in sort of where did you get that from oh that's not a good newspaper you should use this newspaper this one will give you and I've, I've checked that on the government statistics and that's not quite what it says so there are all these sort of sources of information being brought in particularly in the early days when things actually hadn't hit the UK they were bringing in oh this is happening in Japan or this is an Israeli newspaper I, I, does anybody read this can they oh yes I can translate it so you're sort of sharing all this information um but but yes sort of sharing and I, I think it, it offered a safe space really for the venting of women's anger during lockdown and we don't often talk about women's anger particularly not mother's anger mothers aren't supposed to be angry you know that the ideal mother is one who who feels incredible happiness at looking after her children at all time and is very invested in them and will be self-sacrificial and and will support um their children at the detriment of their own well-being and so we you know it's it's almost a taboo subject to talk about women feeling depressed or not happy about motherhood uh, or angry all these negative emotions are almost implied to be psychologically bad you know you shouldn't be feeling this there must be something wrong with you to be feeling this and so having an anonymous space where you could go on and say actually you know I am sick to the back teeth of what's going on in my home and no one is helping and the kids are not doing the homework and and I'm I just want to to vent here um was was safe and was somewhere that they they could express those those feelings so um what do you hope to achieve with this project well really to to contribute to the documentation of women's experience of these you know incredibly life-changing events we're, you know as feminist scholars we're, we're very aware of the possibility that women's experience um, although visible at the time and acknowledged at the time can quickly be forgotten and we've seen that over the centuries that it's men's experience and you know the public experience that that gets recorded um, but what's going on in the home doesn't so I think it's really important that we actually have this project that records um, what women were feeling at the time, what they were writing about at the time, not just in the books that get published, but the, the comments on social media, the, the comments under newspaper articles, uh, things like that. Um, so, you know, we're really seeking to ensure that the effect of the pandemic on women and on women's writing isn't hidden from the historical record. Do you think there are benefits from documenting occurrences during lockdown? Well, yes, absolutely. I think it's incredibly important to reflect women's realities back to them. 
Um, one of the things I, I like to do with my research is to actually go and share it with the, the women that I'm researching. So I go on Mumsnet, for example, and, and share my research there. Um, but it's, it's important to continue to raise awareness of the impact on women's lives. Um, you know, going back to academics just for a moment, when you, you, you know, I was just telling you about how academics haven't been able to publish and they haven't been able to review and they haven't put, they've been able to put funding bids in. Well, that's all being acknowledged right at this minute. But in the, the, the medium and long term, in the, you know, in four or five years time when you're putting in for that promotion, are people going to remember, well, yeah, she's got this great big hole five years ago. She doesn't seem to have published very much. Uh, you know, are they going to say, oh, we need to be aware that that was because of lockdown and because of, of COVID? Or are they by that point, have for, will have forgotten so I think it's really important that we actually have it on record how much of an impact on women's lives and women's writing this was um, because I have a fear um, you know from from centuries of experience of the disappearance of women's voices um, that unless we actually keep banging on about how much COVID and lockdown impacted on women it's going to be very easy to to forget that yeah is it a very large project is there many other women involved yeah as I said there's the the the, the three academics uh three professors from Lincoln Leicester and my own university we have our poet um live talk and then we also have a uh, um uh, Dr. Ed Downey, who is our research assistant. We have a male research assistant. Um, so he's going to be doing the interviews and things like that. Um, so yes, uh, it, it is a large project. It's uh, 18 months and we're going to be involving women from all over uh, the UK, particularly in the workshops. And then um, we will be launching halfway through the project an online um, Roo House um, uh, so you can walk through different rooms in the house and you will be able to see examples of women's writing. So you'll be in the kitchen and you'll see an example of women writing about baking and this enforced domesticity. Or um, you'll be going into the bedroom and women were writing about how, you know, they, they've lost their sex drive. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be this virtual house where you can experience women's writing as you, as you go around. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't already covered? I I don't think so. No. Um, I mean, I think it would be fascinating when we do launch the project. If if women in Australia could, you know, uh, come and have a look at it and tell us how much the experience that we had in in the UK um, mirrors what was happening in Australia, or whether there were differences. Mm, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Oh, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Thank you for having me. And I've been speaking with Professor Sarah Pedersen about women's writing during lockdown. Hope you've enjoyed the program and do stay tuned for Swing and Sway.